When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Actually, you should tell me, you should say to me, welcome to the program, right? It's been over a week since I've been here, and I'm still fighting this. It was the flu. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, I had Scaricon weekend, which thankfully I was fine for. Um, and then almost like the minute I got home, Monday afternoon, um, I started to feel it coming on. And uh, then um, it just got worse and worse. And by you know Tuesday night, Wednesday, fever, chills, all that really fun stuff that comes along with the flu. By Friday, though, I was starting to feel a little bit better and... And uh, but I'm still here uh, with a bit of a I don't know congested head and not much of a voice, but we're going to make it to the show because I couldn't miss another night, and and especially because this this uh, this night this show it kicks off Monster Week for us here on Beyond Reality Radio. Thanks uh, to everyone for being so kind to uh, guest host Bruce Markison. The Shark did a great job while I was away. I was really appreciative of that. That he was able to step in and, and uh, you know, steer the show through a, a week, basically. He only missed one night because he had an obligation. And we had to run a uh, best of program that night. But um, other than that, he he was here. And, but I am a little jealous. I am a little bit jealous because some of the uh, guests he had on, some of the topics he got to talk about, were things that I really wanted to do. I, I'm, I'm upset that I missed uh, chatting with Mr. Lobo because talking about horror movies is one of my favorite things to do. Um, I know he also had uh, Dave Schrader and the gang from the Holzer Files. I really wanted to chat with them. He also had Lex Nover, who is uh, uh, affiliated with the, the Coast to Coast program, but has written a book about um, sleep phenomena. Uh, that's a great conversation. So he had a lot of great shows. I don't know if Slick Eddie did that on purpose, thinking that, you know, I don't know. But uh, he did a great job with it. So thank you to Bruce for filling in during the course of what was the better part of a week. It was actually a week plus, right? Uh, tonight we're going to kick off Monster Week here on Beyond Reality Radio. We're trying to figure out, Slick Eddie, Orion, and I, we're trying to figure out what are we going to do special for Halloween week. Everybody talks about ghosts on Halloween, which we'll do. We'll do some of that. Um, and in fact, what we're going to do on Halloween itself is we want you to be part of the show. We'd love for you to uh, contact us and um, tell us your paranormal stories. I don't care if they're ghost stories, if they're UFO encounters, if they're Bigfoot encounters, Chupacabra, Jersey Devil, whatever it happens to be. If it's something really strange. In fact, I remember uh, early in the show, uh, when I say early, I mean when we first started in syndication, we had a call uh, from a woman in Buffalo. I don't remember her name. And she told us a very, very disturbing story about her encounter with Dogman, a Dogman creature in the Buffalo, New York area. 
Uh, that was a great story, and um, you could we could tell uh, as she was telling us the story how much it affected her. Um, so those types of stories are great. And what we're going to do is, if you have a story you would like to share, we would uh, appreciate you emailing our producer Slick Eddie, and it's Slick Eddie Edwards, and Eddie is with a Y E D D Y. So Slick Eddie Edwards at Gmail dot com. Let him know you're willing to share your story, and he will contact you and uh, arrange uh, a time or whatever, it's, however he's doing it. I'm not even sure. And um, then we'll put you on the air to tell your story. And you don't need to be nervous about it because we're all friends here. But we really want to hear your story. So, again, that'll be part of our Halloween night broadcast. Until then, we're going to start the week off tonight talking about vampires and werewolves with Constantinos. He's an occult author. And he'll present the occult truth behind vampires and werewolves. Tomorrow night, we've got Carlin Betcha on the show. Carlin's been on the show before, author and illustrator. And we'll take a look at the lore, the gore, and the science behind your favorite monsters. She's got a new book out called Monstrous. And then Wednesday night, uh, Robert Bitto will be here, author of a new book, Mexican Monsters. And he'll introduce us to the cryptids and legendary creatures of Mexico. Many of them are new to the English-speaking world. So this will be an interesting discussion, some things we haven't heard of yet. I know we've all heard of, like, Chupacabra, obviously, is a Central American phenomenon as well. Um, But we'll learn about some other things. And then, as I said, Thursday night, we're going to have a couple of things going on. Your paranormal experiences, plus we're going to have somebody on talking about the origins of Halloween as well. Not exactly sure who that's going to be, but it will be uh, someone. I know that as uh, Slick and Orion are working on that. So once again, thank you to everybody for uh, sticking in there as um, I had to take some time off for the Scaricon weekend, which was terrific, by the way. It was really, really nice to see so uh, so many of you show up and uh, enjoy the festivities with us. And when I say they are festivities or they were festivities, you can tell from my voice, (laughs) which is still struggling, that they indeed were festivities. Um But yeah, thank you for the support. Thank you to everyone for showing up. We'll be planning the next one really, really soon. Um, And let's see, what else did I want to say about that? Um, I guess not much about Scaricon other than it was a great weekend. And then, of course, um, I had had to recover. So it's it's been a long time. I feel good back in the chair. And I know some of you watching the YouTube stream commented on this chair. This chair is not a new chair. What it is is an old chair. But the other chair that I was using during the, and I'm not blaming Bruce the Shark Markison on this, but I sat in it tonight, and uh, it was it was a uh, it was a bit too squeaky. It, it had been getting squeaky. You know how chairs that kind of wear out they start to get squeaky. Well, it was too squeaky to be uh, an on the air chair anymore. So I've had to put it aside, pull this trusty old chair out of retirement, and use it until I can get a new one. I don't think this one squeaks. Doesn't sound like it does. I think we're pretty solid here. Um, Okay, well, that's going to do it for uh, the preliminary stuff. Let us go to break. When we come back, we'll bring in our guest again. Tonight, we're talking with Constantinos. He is an author, and we're going to be talking about two of his books, Vampires, the Occult Truth, and Werewolves, the Occult Truth. That's tonight's program on Beyond Reality Radio. Welcome back to the program. You know, the problem with a new chair, when you you know start working with a new chair, particularly in this business, nothing lines up properly anymore. So I'm like reaching for buttons that aren't quite where they're supposed to be. And I'm, I'm looking for things at an eye level that they're not the same, because I think this chair is a little bit shorter than the chair I had 
before I wasn't here. So forgive me if that causes any problems during the course of the night. I'm excited about this because um, in addition to loving horror movies and obviously being a paranormal fanatic, um, I love monsters. We and, and this kicks off Monster Week for us here on Beyond Reality Radio. And our first guest of the week is Konstantinos, who is uh, an author and an expert, a paranormal investigator. We're going to be talking about vampires and werewolves tonight. We'll also be taking your phone calls in the later part of the program at 844-687-7669. But let's, uh, let's start by uh, bringing Constantinos into the program. Welcome to Beyond Reality Radio, Constantinos. Great to have you on the show tonight. Great, thanks. thanks. This is a lot of fun. Uh, nothing like uh, late night. Uh, radio the week of Halloween, right? <laughs> I think there's no better formula. I mean, late <laughs> nights are pretty cool to begin with. Then you add that uh, little bit of a fall weather, you know, the Christmas in the air. And then you uh, say that at the end of the week, because our last live program of the week will be Thursday night, actually is Halloween. This is the, it might be the, the uh, perfect storm for uh, what we do here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm here in New York City, so late nights are, are nothing new to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've got a, a couple of books that we're going to be talking about tonight. You've got many books, but the two we're going to focus on, uh, they're called Vampires, the Occult Truth, Werewolves, the Occult Truth. I see a pattern here. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the occult, um, as most of your listeners probably know, uh, means hidden, basically. So uh, it, it's such a juicy, delicious word that, you know, I just had to throw it in the title. But but I wanted these books to be uh, an exploration about the hidden truth behind uh, these monsters, you know, um, stuff that might really be going on uh, besides what just people see in the movies. You know? There's obviously an origin to these legends that, that really... Uh, that people were able to sink their teeth into over the years. So, <laughs> don't mind yeah, so the, <laughs> so the uh, use of the word occult in the title of these books is, is from the, the definition that we know to be hidden, not so much from what some people have connotated to be demonic or, or satanic or, uh, you know, some of these other kind of meanings that circulate around the word occult. Yeah, it's such a charged word, right? Like, so paranormal is like, I guess, a nice safe word. You know, you can say that, uh, uh, because of shows like Ghost Hunters and things, you know, you, you could say paranormal at the dinner table and no one yeah. will, you know, bat an eye. But <laughs> once you say occult, people wonder if there are robes hiding and, and you know, if they're going to be sacrificed for some reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, that, yeah, that's very true. And we talk about that often. Um, you know, the introduction of paranormal reality television and, and, you know, because my partner here is Jason Hawes, we'll take uh, some of the credit with the TV show Ghost Hunters, uh, really changed the dynamic of what was acceptable uh, and what was permitted conversation around, as you said, the dining room table versus, you know, the back room conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, everyone on the show was always so super accessible, right? You know, no one looked too, you know, bizarre or, or, you know, terrifying or anything like that. So, So people started to think, wow, you know, normal people could be interested in this stuff. You mentioned early on, and we're going to get into this in some detail uh, later in the conversation, but you mentioned Hollywood. It, it's true that in many cases, particularly with the topics that we're going to breach tonight, vampires, werewolves, most of us have gotten all of our information about those creatures, if you will, from uh, movies and maybe in some cases books, but mostly what Hollywood has produced. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, throughout the years, these creatures were... They weren't really romantic heroes, you know, um, until, I guess, let's say about Anne Rice in, in the late 70s. 
Uh, until then, vampires and werewolves were purely monsters. That's what they were. Um, when, when people talked about them around the world, they were warning people. You know, it, it wasn't even entertainment if you went back uh, like a couple hundred years ago. It was more like they believed these things were out there and they were warning each other and they were just coming up with the most awful uh, anecdotes, too, uh, to share. And, and they believed they were really doing due diligence, you know, just, just like people today would come up with uh, urban legends to, to, you know, protect uh, teenagers who hang out at a campfire and, and <laughs> you know, they're not listening for what's happening out in the woods. You know, they're just like true warnings for what they believe was out there. We can't get into too much detail right now because this is a short segment. And again, we will expand on this conversation. But um, a lot of the history of this was truly based in a legitimate fear of uh, loss of life. Uh, you know, when, when you are um, living in the Middle Ages and you, you know, there's no media to speak of and you look off into the distance, there's no electric light. You know, the only light you had was was a, f- a light that was created by fire. And, um, you know, you looked into this dark forest and you heard a lot of weirdly weird and strange noises. Um, you started to look for explanations for that and you were certainly afraid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was bringing back what you know to the tribe, you know. And, and if you thought you encountered something strange out there, that's what you brought back. And, and as we'll get into it tonight, there were a lot of misunderstandings about death processes and other things that... Um, created certain legends too i have to come clean about something um i'm a, a a big horror fan as you probably heard me say earlier um but my earliest recollection of watching a horror movie was when my mother i was probably five or six years old she let me stay up to watch the original 1931 dracula with bella lugosi uh, on television um and i did not sleep for weeks. And in fact, the only time I would even stay in my room by myself was if my mother created, took my, I don't know, tinker toys or something and made a cross and put it on all sides of my bed. It affected me that much as a little kid. <laughs> I have a similar story, except I wasn't allowed to go down and watch Tracker. <laughs> I snuck downstairs in the middle of the night to do it. So and you, I think I regretted it too. <laughs> you, did, you did it without permission. You did it without permission. Without permission, yeah. <laughs> How did this stuff um, become uh, in, on your radar to the point where you were interested enough that you were going to research and start writing books? Oh, and, and it started pretty young, um, not just a desire to watch one movie, but so my grandmother, who is actually now 90 and, and still around, uh, she, when I was growing up, she would kind of watch me a lot when, when my parents were busy, and um, she would just tell me stories from the old country. You know, so she came from Greece, and um, oh. in Greece, uh, if anyone knocks on your door, it, it's either uh, a dead person or something like the Virgin Mary in disguise. You know, like everything was a folkloric story like that. And uh, there were just stories of all sorts of monsters too, including vampires. And um, and she definitely shared those with me. And she would still, to this day, she reads people's uh, coffee, like you know, that you flip the cup over and right. the grinds form. Uh, patterns around the ring, and she still does that for people. So she's very much into it. Well, Greece so is, <laughs> yeah, Greece is at the you know the tip tip of the Balkan Peninsula, which um, you know also contains Romania and Transylvania, and um, you know it's there that at least we in Western culture kind of attribute our uh, the, this the origin of some of these stories. Um, I'm sure that you have more information that as we get into it, but uh, that part of the world kind of uh, seems to be the breadbasket of some of this. 
Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and and it's funny to see the things that pop up in other parts of the world too, independent of that region. You know, they had no way to communicate. Obviously, no internet, no phone, no anything. And um, countries that should have never been able to speak shared certain beliefs. So. That's kind of fascinating, too. Yeah, and in fact, I made a note of that. We're going to talk about that, how some of these uh, legends and folklore appear in different cultures on different continents, um, and there is no way for them to have communicated those ideas. So something has created them in all of those cultures. Constantinos, you uh, have an interest, obviously, in those two particular topics, among others, but you also have an interest in the paranormal. You've spent a lot of time researching uh, many aspects of the paranormal. When did that develop for you? About the same time? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, um, I started living in the library at a very young age. Uh, there were, you know, limited books depending on, on where you went, but there, there was enough for me to start to get a sense that um, something had to be tying all this together. You know, you know, there had to be some reason why so many people believe so many strange things. Uh, and, and then I got interested in the branches of science that tried to explain it too. I uh, wasn't sure if I was going to follow parapsychology, but I then decided that maybe physics would make more sense. So I actually started as a physics major um, because I thought that maybe that would help me dissect the inner workings of the universe. Uh, you know, you know, subtle goals like that. <laughs> did it? Did it help you? Did it help you dissect the inner workings of the universe? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, maybe because that. Technically, the book I'm working on now is going to explore that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, When you have a a science background like that and you're schooled in in a scientific discipline like physics, and then you start looking at paranormal phenomena, does that create a controversy or does are you able to draw from those scientific from the scientific knowledge to help understand and explain some of the paranormal stuff? Oh, definitely. Uh, it, It helps a lot. In fact, it helps weed out some pretty like crazy claims too, um, you know, things that just don't hold up to scrutiny. Um, a, a lot of what I wanted to always do was let people make up their minds when there isn't a real clear, concrete, um, uh, definite answer to a question. You know, if there's a lot of evidence supporting something and you can draw conclusions, I kind of do let readers sometimes draw their own, uh, especially when I don't, when I can't like solidly point and say, look at this, this is clearly the way it has to be or else, you know? Um, so scientific background helps you weed things out, helps you, um, you know, use true skeptical eye. Um, I, I don't just go in and believe everything, you know, and, and sometimes I read books where that seems to be the tone where they just yeah. believe everything and then try to almost apologize for it. <laughs> uh, so I'd, yeah, so I'd rather not do that. I'd rather like say when something is so far out there that it can't possibly be and, and maybe something is something else. Like, instead of it really being a monster sometimes, maybe it's just a misunderstanding of something, you know, and that's okay, too, right? I don't think anyone wants to um, be told something that isn't true, you know? They'd rather try and find out if there is something there, because these are very juicy, exciting things that some people want to find, and uh, it's better to seek truth in all its forms, you know, even if it's occult, hidden truth, you know? (laughs) I think there's a, there's a, there's a certain truth to the fact that even some paranormal reality television they tend to want to believe everything is a ghost and everything is haunted and unless you enter this with some real skepticism I think you almost make a bit of a mockery out of the discipline. Yeah, yeah, I, that's I, I always enjoyed that about you know like ghost hunters too. They they would go in and and not just immediately accept anything and and some of the early episodes like when when they started having the other groups join in. 
they would go to join them on investigation and then they'd be told like, oh, and that's where, you know, so-and-so's name appeared in the mirror. And, and you know, the guys would be like, uh, you know, how do you know that so-and-so, <laughs> you know, that appeared? Just because they thought they saw a face, it doesn't mean it's somebody's name attached to it, you know. It's better to have some kind of skeptical um, uh, position, you know. So I, I was, was impressed by that. When we start talking about vampires, um, where do the roots... First of all, let me ask you this. Let me just point blank ask you. Do you believe there's truth to what we know as blood-sucking type vampires? Um. From what I've seen, I don't think, uh, I, I don't want to depress people too much here, but, <laughs> or make them happy one way or the other, because they look at it. I don't think there was ever um, an immortal creature that physically walked around and drained people of blood. Um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I, I think the blood thing um, came from a misunderstanding of uh, the death processes and the idea that as, as the ancients saw blood leaving a body, they saw that body dying, right? They, they saw that the blood was somehow, they didn't understand how, but somehow intricately linked right. to a person's vitality and existence. So they, that's how they viewed it. Like if the blood left the body, you know, life left the body. So I think that's where they made that first connection that there might be something that could steal your vitality. And they, and they thought that it was blood. I think that's where it began. And I heard you were doing trivia uh, for some of the folks that were streaming. Um, and you were talking about where the whole sunlight thing came uh, I don't think that came from folklore. That actually came from uh, Nosferatu. The movie. Oh, yeah. Which, by yeah, the way, so, I was going to ask you what your favorite vampire movie is. Uh, <laughs> that Nosferatu, for being an early um, silent film, is one of the creepiest films, I think, ever put on celluloid. Yeah, and it had it had certain legal issues. Uh, for one, it was it was plagiarizing Dracula without paying the estate, the Stoker estate. So there was a little court battle, and the Stoker State won, and they ordered every copy of that movie destroyed. But, of course, it, that didn't happen. Copies survived. And the reason uh, he tried to get away with it by um, F.W. Murnau by changing the way that the vampire dies. So he has that great scene where, you know, the sun starts rising, and this creature of darkness he figured would be banished by the sun. So, you know, he like, tilts back, puts his hands up, his claws up, makes that pained face. and just, Well, he always looks like he was making a pained face, but you know, he looks back and he lifts his claws and, and he fades away with the first bit of special effects. Uh, but that's all that was, really, because if you look at the lore, even in the novel Dracula, uh, Dracula walks around in broad daylight. Um, so it was, it was never really a big deal. The sun never really harmed vampires. It was just... Um, the idea that something out of darkness wouldn't like it. So yeah. once again, a product of Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. Most most vampires, you never really hear any mention of um, time of day. Some of them, in fact, would hunt from noon to midnight. Wow. <laughs> let's um, let's talk about the origin of the legend or the folklore. Um, what what culture does it appear in first that we are aware of, and uh, how far back does it go? Yeah, I think that the first clear uh, indications of something like this would have been in ancient Sumer, um, and, and they believed in, in these things that would throttle the living um, and, and drain them. And it, and it wasn't specific. It wasn't like talking about blood necessarily, but I just think the connection was made because of that, that whole, like, as blood drains, life drains away kind of thing. So I think what they were really believing in was was the dead that would come back and somehow attack uh, the living and, and drain them somehow. So 
I think they were more like hinting at something like energy. Um, and, and that's what you first find in, in the engine. So, uh, the, so these are, the, these were, uh, that, that's, yeah, yeah, these were basically undead. undead. These are basically uh, dead that had had risen to come back and in some way harm the living. Yeah, yeah, the idea, and and there was a lot of these um, these creepy monsters uh, that that you come across demons and and other things, and so they were sort of like a type of demon, um, and they they had mentions of weird things like evil wind gusts and stuff like that, which almost kind of lead you to believe they were talking about some kind of essence of spirit or something that was moving. Um, was there, but, but they do talk about devouring flesh and sucking veins and things like that, too. At some point, a, a religious connection comes in. Obviously, in our, again, our modern version of what we know to be Dracula or vampires, uh, you know, the cross, the Christian symbol of the cross uh, is a weapon against the vampire. Where, has there always been some type of religious connection, Christian or otherwise, with this folklore, or did that come later? Yeah, it was always there. It was there from the very beginning. So, um, like in Sumer, for example, uh, those first creatures I, I just talked about, um, they, they appear in, in a banishment. So the first, like, clay tablets that, that mention them are actually like an incantation where a good priest would use that incantation to banish these evil beings away. So it was like right there in the very first conflict chiseled into stone that, that this good holy person would attack these monsters. Um, we also know them to be uh, somewhat human. Are they always human? Or, or I mean, I know they can shapeshift. We've seen that in Hollywood. Um, but are they always a human creature, or could it be some type of other creature? Uh, yeah, so in, the, so in the very beginning, they, they were described as potentially just demons, which didn't necessarily mean human shape. There were things like dog-faced demons and, and things like that right there in the ancient lore. Then later on, um, as people started becoming afraid of epidemics and disease, they assumed that it was the people that recently died that came back to take someone with them, uh, if that made sense. So yeah. like, let's say someone would die of something like uh, tuberculosis or something. They didn't really know what was going on. You know, They just knew that people were starting to die. And then after a few days, um, a family member would dream about their lost loved one, and they'd start to feel sick. And they would tell someone, oh, so-and-so came to me last night, and now I don't feel well, you know. And then they would think that the dead were potentially coming back and maybe, um, you know, draining essence from the living somehow, maybe through blood. Uh, so I think that's where some of those first connections to humans started being made, um, that this idea that the dead were coming back, people would dream about lost loved ones, they would have the same illness as them, and they would see that there was some connection because they didn't really understand how germs and things like that worked for sure. Yeah, uh, and yeah. then what would happen, right, if they went and dug up the body? That's, that's a whole other discussion we're going to have, I'm sure, tonight. <laughs> yeah, um, we will. And we're also going to talk about some of these other characteristics that we know to be characteristics of a vampire, like they do not show their reflection in a mirror. You obviously have studied werewolves. You've obviously studied vampires because that's what we're talking about. But what other types of things have you investigated? Um, what other paranormal phenomena has been on your radar? Uh, so one of the biggest things for me was always just uh, the concept of ritual magic, too. Um, what is that? You know, like, why Why do some people believe that, that you can say some words, um, you know, set up some kind of, like, atmospheric environment with certain candles and scents and, and actually create some kind of outcome? 
So I, I was always interested in that and, and what was really going on there, too. Um, and, I, and I started to get the idea that that might be something along the lines of probability manipulation, uh, that, that there is some way to influence outcomes. Um, and, we, and we see this in scientific experiments, too, with um, the observer effect in quantum mechanics. Um, so I, I started looking into that, and, and my next book's actually going to be about that. <laughs> it's, you're going to bring quantum mechanics into the discussion? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to have to do it in a way where people don't hate me because of the math. So I'm going to kind of strip all of it out. <laughs> That's one of the problems when you start talking about this type of science is it can get kind of complicated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But w- when you when you strip away some of it and just look at the, the overall ideas and, and even that type of physicist would, would use something known as a thought experiment where, where you come up with this easy to visualize picture to, to explain a concept. It, it does start to make a lot of sense that, that maybe there's a reason we perceive um, this probability manipulation in the real world. Um, it might even be provable. So, so I'm going to be um, talking about that. Yep. When we come back from the break, we're going to uh, talk more about vampires and their traits or their what we understand to be their traits. Plus, we're going to introduce the discussion of werewolves, and we will be taking your phone calls at 844-687-7669. We've got about two minutes left here, Constantinos. What other books have you written? There's a bunch of them there. You've done a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so I did. Um, I, I believe in the idea of psychodrama, so that if anything like a ritual were to work, it would work because there was a lot of like window dressing, something that really spoke to your subconscious and told you that something different was happening. Uh, so I did this book, the, the series of books on um, really like dark magic with the most psychodrama. So that was Nocturnal Witchcraft, Gothic Grimoire, Nocturnicon. They all dealt with, um, they were like really, let's face it, like goth books, you know, like <laughs> if you're, uh, you know, one of the children of the night and that's your aesthetic, that's the thing that makes you feel like something otherworldly is going on to those that work for you. Um, I did a book, Contact the Other Side, um, which is also available as under the title Speak with the Dead. Um, and because of that book, I, I ended up, I guess, kind of hanging out with uh, the Taps gang and, and, <laughs> and some other paranormal investigators. Like, it dealt with EVPs and things like that. Um, and then I also did Something Spirits, which was about using uh, ritual magic to maybe uh, see things in like a mirror um, that, that might be spirits, might be something from your subconscious, not sure. Uh, so, so lots of books that kind of threw you right into the mix, you know, made you a part of what you were studying. Uh, just to take you down that path a little bit further, um, there has been a what I would consider to be a bit of a rebirth in uh, in some of the television programs. Obviously, Ghost Hunters has had a reboot. Uh, my partner here, Jason Hawes, uh, has a new show called Ghost Nation. And, um, you know, it's enjoying a lot of popularity, a lot of interest. Uh, what do you think of the reintroduction or, or return of some of this, uh, this paranormal reality programming? Oh, I, I think it's great and inevitable. Uh, if you look back, there, there were revivals upon revivals, even before TV shows like this happened. You know, there was the occult revival in the 60s, and it had another heyday in the 80s and 90s, and then paranormal TV in the 2000s. Um, I, people are just never going to let that go, you know, um, no matter how connected we are and, and, you know, everyone has smartphones and things like that. You're going to still see people um, using any device at their disposal to try and understand the world around them, I think. So uh, I think it's great. And, and I think we're just going to keep seeing more of it. You know, people are going to want all those explanations about what's going on around them. Looking ahead to round out Monster Week tomorrow night, Carlin Betcha will be with us to talk about her new book, um, we'll be looking at the lore, the gore, and the science behind your favorite monsters. Her book is called Monstrous. Wednesday night, 
Robert D- uh, Bitto will be here. He's the author of a new book called Mexican Monsters, and he'll introduce us to the cryptids and legendary creatures of Mexico. Many of these will be new to us. And then Thursday night, we're going to ask for your help as well. We want you to uh, email our producer if you've got a paranormal story to share with us. It can be ghost. It can be Bigfoot. It can be UFO. It can be anything, time travel, whatever it is. If it happened to you, we want to hear about it on our Halloween night program. We'll have a Halloween expert with us, and we'll be talking about uh, your experiences throughout the course of the night. The thing to do if you want to join us, if you're willing to tell us your story, is to email our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y, E-D-D-Y. Slick Eddie Edwards at gmail.com. Let him know that you're willing to share your story, and he'll get back to you so that we can uh, have you on the show. It's going to be a fun night. Hopefully it'll send some chills down your spine as these stories tend to, and um, it'll be a memorable memorable Halloween for all of us. Looking forward to that, to round out our Monster Week here on Beyond Reality Radio. I haven't mentioned uh, Facebook. Please like us on Facebook. Like my page as well, J.V. Johnson on Facebook. And if you're looking for chat and you're looking for a way to stream the program live, if you can't get it on a radio station, then go to YouTube. Find us there by searching J.V. Johnson. There's also about 400 back episodes of the program there. A lot of great interviews on the YouTube channel at Beyond, um, J.V. Johnson on YouTube. Very easy to find. Once again, we're talking with Constantinos tonight, and we were uh, talking about vampires. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, then we're going to switch to werewolves. But one of the things that's very curious, Constantinos, are these traits that we've all come to accept as being traits of the, of vampires. And uh, I'll just throw some out there, and let's chat a little bit about where they came from. Like this concept that a vampire won't show its reflection, or that a stake, a wooden stake driven through the heart of a vampire is a way to kill them. Garlic is something that's used to repel vampires. They have to be resting during the day in their native soil. Um, And then there's also a very, very uh, deep and involved romantic component to the idea of a vampire. Where'd all this stuff come from? (laughs) Uh, Boy, well, that's a lot. Let me see if I can keep it all straight in my (laughs) memory. (laughs) Um, So the the mirror thing is interesting because it might have been the first indication that some cultures believed it wasn't a physical being. Um, the idea that if something like paranormal was in or cult was in your living room um, and you were experiencing it and then you looked in the mirror and it wasn't there, uh, then maybe it wasn't something physical. Maybe it was something that you were able to see somehow um, with, with some other senses or whatever. So it might have been the idea that instead of a physical dead body coming back, it was something else that was there. Uh, and, and that turns into the whole idea that what if vampires weren't draining blood, but were really just draining energy, going all the way back to, I guess, Mesopotamia, that idea that they might have been just spirit things instead of physical. Uh, some of the other stuff ties into that concept of misunderstanding the death process. So Let's say the, let's take the wooden stake. You know, if you have this outbreak in a, in a village, a disease, whatever, then they blame it on the dead person. They dig up the dead person's body. What are they going to find? They, they would expect to find bones or something rotted away, but they didn't really understand that for quite a period of time after death, other things were going on. Uh, gases would start to build inside of a body and, and cause it to swell up. Um, the organs would turn to liquid and pieces of them would start to ooze out of um, openings from a dead body. So you'd open up a coffin and you'd find this bloated thing that looked like it was gorged with blood dripping out of its mouth. 
And it was like, oh, my God, it's bloated because it was leaching off the living. So let's try and pin it to the earth somehow so it can never leave its coffin again. So they would drive a wooden stake through, believing that they would pin it to the coffin. Um, it wasn't necessarily just that the stake went in. It was more like that, you know, nailing it down kind of thing. Just like headstones were originally designed to keep the heads of the dead from coming up out of the ground. Uh, they weren't really um, just memorials. So once you drove that stake in, you would get uh, liquid pouring out, a groan as gases escaped, and it would look like this thing was still alive. Um, there would be other things going on, too, like the, the skin would recede from nails, making it look like they got longer. The gums would recede, making it look like teeth got longer and sharper. Uh, hair would look like it might have even grown because the skin receded there. So, so there's all sorts of kind of um, misunderstandings about what they saw when they opened it. So I think that's where a lot of that stuff came from. The, the native soil, I believe, was just a Bram Stoker literary invention to give his vampire a limitation, something that the characters could fight back against. Uh, sort of like kryptonite, you know, Superman would be too powerful without it. So Dracula needed some kind of limitation. So his 50 boxes of Earth that he brought from Romania, I think that's where that came from. Interesting. Let's uh, jump to our listener line. Uh, this sure. is Andrew in Los Angeles. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the program. Andrew, just make sure you turn down your radio or whatever you're listening on and uh, we'll bring in here. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. What's Thank on you. your mind? What's on your mind? All right. Um, so, so I didn't know I was live for a second. So I just wanted to call in. I'm really grateful for the show. Um, and, um, you know, I've been following Constantinus's work for like about seven years, I think. Uh, the question is actually mostly on just his other books, um, specifically, um, I guess the best way to uh, ask is, uh, hmm. let me think. Trying to think of a question? Yeah, no, there was, honestly, I have so many questions. His work has been so transformative, specifically the books like uh, Gothic Grimoire, Nocturnal Witchcraft, just uh, really opened up my world to a lot of things. Um, so many questions. I guess the big one that would probably relate to the show uh, is, uh, uh, has he ever encountered, or come soon if he can hear me, uh, has he ever encountered a, like, a vampire in the astral plane? Because I know in his book, Vampires of the Culture, so maybe it was werewolves, it could have been both. He talks about a technique where you, uh, or not a technique, talks about when people can't uh, have seen them on the astral plane. And I'm just curious about that, because his work actually, in Gothic Grimoire, he gives you an, he gives you a way to, you know, astral project, if anyone on the show has heard of that, uh, leave your body. And uh, it actually worked for me. I tried it for about two weeks and uh, changed my life. And I was just wondering uh, if that's a thing that, that he's encountered or... Okay, before before yeah before Constantinos yeah. addresses addresses that, I just want to get some clarification on what you just said. You said you tried for about two weeks astral projection and you were yeah, successful. Me, hold on, apologies. and you were yeah. you were I could re- redo that. No, re- hold on a second. And you were successful. Now, were you successful in uh, um, encountering a vampire or werewolf, or just with astral projection in itself? Apologies. Yeah, I got a little nervous. I just it's uh, okay. I no worries. Thank you. Um, no, I tried uh, several several of his techniques. Uh, I got successful in uh, leaving my body. Uh, it took a little effort, and uh, I was just curious uh, if he has ever encountered that, uh, a vampire or such, being on the astral plane, and just curious about that, pretty much, That's the, just to make it related to the show. Sure. So. Okay. Yeah. Great, <laughs> great question. Constantinos? Uh, uh, so, uh, hello, Andrew. Thanks for calling in um, and, and for reading the books over the years. Uh, 
Yeah, so, so this concept of an astral plane, so when you do something like an out-of-body experience, what's really going on there, right? Are, are, you, are you physically leaving and moving around in the world we see today? Uh, I don't think that's quite what's going on. Uh, when, when people do have out-of-body experiences, they don't do very well in things like um, remote viewing, necessarily. You know, like if you were to leave your body and I would go into the next room and write something on a piece of paper, most of the time, you're not going to know what that says. Uh, it seems to indicate that when you have that experience of leaving your body, you're really entering something else, some other kind of, you know, you could call it a plane. And, and it was traditionally called out in occult lore, and, and you know, I go with that for, for terminology. But you might be entering uh, something else, uh, some other kind of uh, way of describing um, perception, um, because you're having a very psychodramatic experience, right? You're having an experience that's so intense that, um, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it feels like you actually stepped out of a physical body and you're floating around. So when that happens, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of psychodramatic experiences. Um, are there unseen forces at work, anything connecting us to this other realm? Uh, you're going to see certain manifestations of that. You're going to see things that are more related to thought than to the physical world. So if you were in a situation where someone felt like they were being attacked or something like that, and you did have the beginnings of such an experience, you might see a representation of that, something like um, dark tentacles reaching out uh, and grabbing something or, or whatever that looks like to your, um, to your mind at that moment. Um, and some of that might be what happens in haunted house experiences. You know, you might have like a shift in consciousness um, for whatever reason, either just because you believe something is going on and, and that was dramatic enough to kick you into another state of consciousness. Uh, and you're going to start to see things like that, potentially. Um, you're going to start to see, let's say, a ghost, if that's what you were told was there, possibly. Um, so, yeah, whenever experimenting with psychodrama or things like that in ritual, you do come across visions of things. Uh, I wrote numerous books on, on how to force those experiences uh, through the aid of something like uh, like a magic mirror, which is basically a black piece of glass um, or, or crystal. That lets you focus your visual consciousness to have that shift occur. Um, what you're actually seeing there, it, I kind of leave that open to interpretation. Is, is it something that exists only in your mind, you know, your version of let's say, a, a well-known demon or whatever? Or are you seeing something that's really out there, external from you? You know, it, it, it's hard to pinpoint what's happening. How can people get a hold of you best, Constantinos, if they have questions or want to find out more about your work? I'm fairly accessible, I guess. Uh, yeah, you can go to Constantinos.com and email me. Um, you can try and find me on Facebook, um, and uh, I'll, I'll probably answer. <laughs> uh, or, or you could just go to any golf club in New York City on any given night, and you'll probably find me there. So. We uh, <laughs> have just, just a couple minutes in this segment. I don't want to open up the werewolf conversation yet because it would, we wouldn't do it justice. So I want to go back to this list of things that we know to be traits of vampires because I mentioned garlic, and uh, I don't think you got a chance to to talk about that. Is that a little literary invention as well? Uh, no, that, that's actually older. Um, and a lot of cultures, uh, definitely in Eastern Europe, garlic is used to, to ward off evil. And I think it was a sympathetic magic thing where um, some people believe that like repels like. So if something smells terrible, it would keep away something that has bad breath. And they believe that vampires being literal corpses uh, would have terrible breath. So 
um, they would smell and be foul. So, so garlic would keep them away. It always um, amazes they, yeah. me how much thought actually went into these superstitions, right? I mean, they had to really think through that. Yeah, it was it was all they had. You know, they didn't have the scientific method. They, they didn't have their. I don't, they didn't have memes to look at or anything. So it's like this, this occupied their time. And uh, this notion of, of at least Dracula, I don't know if it's not necessarily all vampires, but there's a sexual component to it. There's a romantic component to the being that we know as Dracula. Um, was that there in the beginning as well? No, that was definitely literary. That was brought later. Um, the original vampires were not romantic heroes. They were, they were the monsters. They were these ugly things that, that you were warned against. Um, bloated, disgusting corpses covered in leaves and dirt that would crawl to your door and, and attack you. They weren't anything romantic. Uh, until, until Anne Rice, um, they, were all, they were usually the villains, too, in the story. They weren't anything like a, a hero. I think that, uh, like, when I look at uh, Bela Lugosi's Dracula, there is a mm-hmm. sexual component, there's a sexual undertone to that whole story, but it's not that he's a, a sexual hero in any way he's just got a sexual allure that yeah because of that time that 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 novel came out and all the all the repression that was going on um he was considered a way to write about penetration uh in literature basically um but he just wasn't the hero of the story you know um that shift came later but yeah definitely that vampire became a symbol um of, of that kind of like sexuality it was just kind of buried it was hidden there uh, but if you read the book, he still wasn't very good looking. You know, uh, when, yeah. when Jonathan Harker encounters him, he sees he has hairy palms and, and he's more wolf-like, I guess, uh, when he meets him in person. Yeah, we have about 30 seconds here. Um, and when we come back from the break, we'll talk about werewolves. But uh, I said earlier I was going to ask you this. What is your uh, your favorite vampire film? Oh, <laughs> That, that changes. Um, everyone's, well, I used to be really, really into this movie called Near Dark um, because it, it had this like very realistic look to it that what if these things were roaming in the desert, you know, in, in, in like the in the in the vehicle they were in and kind of like living and moving through the night. And it, it just seemed so realistic. You know, it didn't seem uh, too exotic. But, but over the years, I've liked different ones. <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit, like when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out, I actually liked it. And when I try watching it now, I'm like, oh, the acting was so bad. What was I thinking? <laughs> it was like embarrassing. It's Beyond Reality Radio as we kick off Monster Week here in honor of uh, and celebration of, in fact, Halloween, which is Thursday night this year. Um, it happens to be the last live program of the week for us. So we've got monsters all week long for you. And uh, I will mention, though, Thursday night on, on Halloween itself, we're going to ask you to participate in the program by telling us your paranormal stories. They can be ghost-related or Bigfoot or UFO or Dogman or Chupacabra or whatever it happens to be. It doesn't matter as long as it's something that you experienced. If you've got a story you're willing to share with us, email our producer, slickeddieedwards at gmail.com. Now, Eddie is spelled E-D-D-Y. slickeddieedwards at gmail.com. Constantinus, we've been talking about vampires, and that's enough to send shivers down your spine. As I intimated in the beginning of the program, it was the first horror movie that I remember seeing that actually kept me awake for a very, very long time and gave my mother fits. Uh, But not far on the heels of that was the uh, Lon Chaney Jr. uh, universal film called The Wolfman. 
That one also uh, did it to me and gave me nightmares. Uh, let's talk about werewolves a little bit. Where do these things come from? Uh, so if you want to go back farther than everyone probably thinks we're going to go back, I can do that. <laughs> sure. If you go back about 32,000 years, Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you would find the, the first like cave paintings. Um, there were some in, in caves in France, uh, especially. And these early paintings uh, depicted these animal-human hybrids. Um, so if you think like in Egypt, their gods had like, uh, you know, animal heads or whatever. There would be things like that, uh, things painted that implied that humans could somehow become one with, with animals or, or have some kind of like animal core to them. It, it looked like shape-shifting uh, drawn out on these primitive crude drawings on the walls. And uh, what was going on around that time? Um, People started experimenting with entheogens back then, which are basically um, naturally existing substances, hallucinogens. Uh, but they're not just hallucinogens like you take them and, and you just like see colors and things. They actually, as the name implies, it means they brought God to you was the idea that, that when you took these things, you had sort of like religious experiences. You saw things that just made you feel like you weren't in the presence of just um, randomness, but, but something meaningful. Uh, so these early entheogens, they were experimenting with them around the time that they started these cave paintings. So that led me to believe that maybe when people first started taking those, they started having these experiences that showed like animals being inside or them turning to animals or having animal-like experiences. And that might be where the very first legends of people um, having the ability to shapeshift uh, came from. It, it seems like a pretty clear... Um, a bit of evidence to me because of the way those two uh, facts line up, the time periods. There's a lot of uh, different versions of the shapeshifter in legend and folklore, uh, but the werewolf one, that particular mm-hmm. uh, trope has has survived and, and flourished uh, in, in pop culture anyway, and I think it probably was the dominant one. What makes that one so unique? Yeah, it's interesting, right? That one, uh, for some reason, there, there are countries where it's other things. You know, you could turn into a fox or whatever in Asia, uh, th- things like that. But yeah, for some reason, the wolf one just took off. Um, I think it's because they were what people were most afraid of in certain remote, um, isolated areas. At night, you would hear wolves from very far away. You know, you, you wouldn't necessarily hear a fox <laughs> right, <laughs> from right. too far away. But, but you would hear them howling, and they were certainly dangerous in pack. And with the exception of like living in, in, you know, in a place where there were lions or something like that, that was really the thing that would get you in the woods. So that was the monster, you know, uh, Little Red Riding Hood facing the wolf. It was always a wolf because it, it was just very believable that you could walk into any set of woods. And well, let's face it, if you go back just a few hundred years, there were woods everywhere. Uh, no comments on if that's going to be the case soon. But, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you go back in time, that was the monster you were going to encounter most often. So I think that's the one that people really latched on to, like, oh, imagine uh, if that's what we turned into or if that bit us, what would happen? And it's something like that, like attracts like belief uh, or repels like one or the other, depending on which culture. So that's why the first belief was that if you got bitten by one of these um, hybrid monster things like a wolf, then you would become one, too. And, of course, they howl at the full moon, so the full moon connection was made. Is it um, is it the full moon that affects the transition from human to wolf creature? Uh, is that part of the legend? Uh, yeah, definitely. That was 
that predates Hollywood, this idea that it was a lunar thing. And, and the lunar association with metal is why silver was believed to be the thing. Again, with the like repelling, like silver would then kill a werewolf because it was tied to that lunar energy, that idea that it was that time period. I, I think that's why that first connection was made. Um, but I like to divide them into two types of werewolves uh, through folklore. There were voluntary and involuntary werewolves, basically. Uh, so the involuntary ones are the ones that people believe um, you became one against your will. Like you got bitten and you turned into it at the next full moon. Or something like a witch or, 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 or someone evil would cast a, a curse on you and you would turn into a werewolf. Um, some cultures even went so far as to make it truly involuntary, like you ate some herbs in the woods at night and you became a werewolf because you didn't realize that they had mystical properties. But there was that like involuntary batch. But then there were people who really wanted this. They, they wanted, I guess, the power. Um, they wanted that ability to be stronger, faster, uh, more feral, whatever. So they're the ones who voluntarily sought this out. And then there's a whole um, bunch of rituals and things that survive to this day that people would do to try and become a werewolf. And I published a couple of them in my book uh, in case you're so inclined. So if anyone who reads it disappears, that might be why. I'm not sure. <laughs> we also see things like a relationship to gypsy culture. I'm not even sure what that is. I mean, that might be a product of Hollywood as well. Um, but these other um, connections to both vampires and werewolves, uh, was is there a particular culture that propagated what we would consider to be our more modern uh, interpretation of these monsters? Uh, yeah, so so that idea of like uh, roving bands of groups um, in, in Eastern Europe, you know, whether they're gypsies or other groups, they they definitely carried with them that flair of the mystic. They would go into a town and read people's fortunes, um, and maybe just to defend themselves, they they put out there this idea that they could curse you or whatever. So that way they'd be left alone. You know, it wouldn't be the worst self-defense strategy. Right. Um, and so along with that were a lot of these monsters that came with curses. So vampires can also be created by curses and certain beliefs. Um, in fact, the church, uh, when they do an excommunication, uh, the, the wording in certain um, aspects of especially Orthodox, uh, the wording implies that once you're excommunicated, your body will never rot and your soul will never leave it. So, I mean, that, that's a pretty clear way to tell someone that they might become undead, you know? Uh, so there, there are these curses that, that let people think that they're going to turn into some kind of monster. That, that Wolfman movie you mentioned was a pretty great example of that, right? There was a whole gypsy scene right. where he goes and then he gets attacked by a dog. So it's all right there. It's, that, it's like a gypsy scene with getting bitten and becoming a werewolf. Um, and, and again, it's like that, that mystique that surrounded these people. And, and that was another way that a lot of legends would travel, right? They literally would travel, uh, you know, you'd go from town to town and, and it's like, oh, do you know that they can curse you? And then it would go on to the next town and then, <laughs> and then, and it would like kind of propagate through an area like that. I have to, uh, have to admit another thing here that uh, one of my favorite monster movies with uh, Dracula and with um, the Wolfman is uh, the Abbott and Costello meet the monsters with both, <laughs> yeah. both Bella Lugosi <laughs> and Lon, Lon Chaney Jr. reprising those characters. And it's one of my favorites. It's obviously a humorous one, but uh, they do a great job with the characters as well. Um, it's uh, the power of typecasting, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bella couldn't get away from the role. Yeah, precisely. And a lot of people don't, <laughs> don't uh, realize that that's, 
that's the only the second time. And if I my fact, if I remember my facts correctly, that's the only the second time that Bella Lugosi actually played that character. There's a third movie called Mark of the Vampire in which he dresses up in a similar costume, but it turns yeah. out at the end that they're not really vampires at all. They're putting there to put on. Yeah, it, it's just that that iconography, you know, would then follow him around. Um, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right no, it was very burial. That, that's absolutely true. And I actually just read, and I heard, I thought for a while, and this this again is probably another product of Hollywood that he was buried in the Cape. Uh, but then I just heard very recently that the uh, Bella Lugosi Jr. donated the Cape to, um, I'm not sure, a museum in in L.A. somewhere. I think it's a horror film museum uh which was which was was pretty cool um but going back to this idea of werewolves you know often on this show we'll talk to people who uh study cryptid creatures you know cryptozoologists and they'll talk about creatures like dog man and these other uh would be some hybrid between a human a human and a and some other beast uh, is there any connection between those types of paranormal phenomena and reports and what we're talking about tonight in, in the terms of uh, a werewolf or some type of shapeshifter? Uh, there certainly could be. Um, like I said earlier, you know, people were looking for explanations. They were looking for reasons why things were the way they were. And uh, they might have encountered something that actually did resemble that, you know, in the woods one night and then make up the lore of the suit. Or, you know, these things could exist independently, right? You could come across some kind of creature like that, and then you've heard that these groups of people can curse someone and make them turn into a hybrid of some sort. And then you put two and two together and just assume that they're one and the same, you know? Um, so, so it's very possible that we're talking about two different things that people over the years just turned into the same thing. And that comes up all the time. What? In this kind of realm, you know, where different beliefs, they're really describing the same thing. They're just, um, you know, different facets of it. What's the lunar connection to all of this? I know we did mention that, uh, you know, the full moon affects the werewolf, um, you know, but there's always a, a lunar connection to these types of uh, folklore and uh, legends. What, sure. what, what um, creates that connection? Well, the full moon, um, you know, a lot of people believe that the full moon affects um, certain mental conditions too, uh, right? Um, that, that our bodies are so trained to a cycle. You know, we have circadian rhythms. We have, uh, people think we have lunar rhythms too. Um, you know, uh, just look at the number of days in, in, a, in a menstruation cycle too, for example. Uh, we are made of water, the tidal forces involved with the moon. We're kind of like mini tidal forces ourselves. So they might've been picking up on that as well. And that as the moon would swell and people started acting a little crazy, uh, literally, you know, they, yeah. they would believe that, um, that that was the case, that, that if something like this was going to happen, it would happen then at that peak of activity. Um, you know, it, it's, hard, it's hard to say if, if there's any connection to it for real. But, you know, most people that work at an emergency room, if it's full moon, you'll hear them say, oh, it's the full moon tonight. You know, like, like all these things are happening. And. And it seems to be evidence to support the, the increase in activity that night of bizarre um, stories in the, in the emergency room. Yeah, there certainly is evidence to support it. It might be anecdotal, but there's evidence to support it. And then, of course, you know, the word lunatic itself comes from lunar. Yeah, you know, the, absolutely. So there is a, a long existing connection there. Um, there are people who live a life that they call uh, a vampiric life or they call themselves vampires. Um, do you know people like that? And what's the motivation to do something like that? 
Yeah, absolutely. That, so that became um, really popular with Anne Rice. Uh, because like I said before, she was the first one to make these anti-heroes, you know. Um, so people, they just couldn't resist the appeal. You know, you would read about Lestat or, or see a movie, and that just looked great. You know, it's like, wow, he lives forever. He's romantic. Um, he entrances, uh, he enchants everyone he sees. And it, it's just like, oh, I want that. Uh, and especially like in certain subculture groups, um, you know, groups that kind of consider themselves outsiders, outcasts, no one understands me, that kind of thing. Uh, it's very appealing to go from the one kid that sits alone in the corner in the lunchroom to this powerful being in your imagination, you know, so you grow up latching onto that. And so like, and, and, you know, here I am in New York City, I, I'll admit, I still go to golf clubs. It's still my scene very much, you know, and I do see, I, I do have friends there and, and people there that, that, live the lifestyle to that extent, you know, where, where they do get fangs made, um, the ones that you like kind of clip in and, and they really dress the part, whether it's Halloween or not. Uh, and, and for them, it's like that form of expression, like that they're seeking out a, a, a kind of connection to that, that power, that, that idea of, of that, like ability to dominate your surroundings uh, for some, or just to have like a kinship, you know, because they're all into the same sort of thing, and and they can all kind of share that. Do they? I imagine there's some that actually practice drinking blood. Yes. Yep. And yeah, and I write about that. It, yeah. it has become sort of like a fetish activity. Some of them think that they are drawing um, along with the blood some kind of like energy connection, so they're taking something from. It's usually, it's always donors. You know, you don't hear about like bodies turning up with like holes in their neck or anything like that, like in movies. Uh, it's all very controlled, and and you see it happening um, at certain places that I go to. Uh, and, yeah, one one last quick question because we only have a, a, like two minutes left here. Uh, what about the Native Americans? They have shapeshifter legends. Um, do they have a vampiric legend as well? Uh, they don't really have a vampire. No, that that was like an interesting omission. Uh, every once in a while, someone will flag something that might have been it, but it doesn't quite doesn't quite click. Interesting. All right. So uh, what's next for you? And once again, let people know where they can get your books. Yeah. So my books are available everywhere. So it's Constantinos with a K, uh, Amazon, wherever you buy books, Barnes and Noble. Uh, they're all there. You can go to Constantinos.com. And uh, right now I'm working on a book that explains a lot of the paranormal world um, through the lens of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. So if you're ready to have your head hurt when, when that comes out, you can you can read that. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to coming out, and we'll look forward to having you back on the program. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great night. Have a great Halloween, Constantinos. A pleasure to have you here tonight. Uh, I will remind you, because we need your input for Thursday night, we're going to talk about your paranormal experiences. If you've had an encounter with anything that we would consider paranormal, ghost, UFO, Bigfoot, Chupacabra, Jersey Devil. I was going to say the New Jersey Devils, but that's a that's a hockey team. That's that's not very paranormal. I don't think they win much, do they? Are they good? Uh, you're asking me about <laughs> sports. You're asking the wrong guy. I just don't know anything about hockey. Uh, sorry if I offended anybody in Jersey. I didn't mean to. Anyway, um, if you've had a paranormal experience, reach out to our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y, E-D-D-Y. Slick Eddie Edwards at gmail.com and slick and orion you guys will go through those and oh, yeah. you know try to contact people and get them on the show yeah we got a pile of them so far good yeah so it'll be a lot of fun to hear your stories we'll also have a halloween expert here on the show for that as well tomorrow night carlin betcha will be here author and illustrator she'll take a look 
guide us through her new book called Monstrous, The Lore, the Gore, and the Science Behind Your Favorite Monsters. And I can't help but think about movies when I uh, start talking about these monsters. Because, sure. you know, that's kind of how we've all been introduced to these things. Sure. And, and the book definitely approaches it from that perspective. I mean, it's on the surface intended for young adults or, or, or even children, but it's very well-researched and very full of information and beautifully illustrated. Yeah. Um, and it it uh, it should be a great conversation. Looking forward to that conversation. I, I did want to make one movie recommendation because I've been searching high and low for good Halloween movies to watch that aren't the same old, same old movies. Mm-hmm. And um, there was one on Netflix that I watched. It's it's uh, A.M.I. So Ami is the, is the acronym and it stands for Automated Machine Inter- Intelligence. And it's about a Siri type app on a phone that actually becomes a mother to a person hmm. and makes her do some very horrible things. And good, watch good. Ice Cream Man if you didn't see it yet. Oh yeah, that's another good one. Alright, we gotta go for tonight. We'll catch you tomorrow. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.